On this episode of Resi Week, we talk crossover products for commercial and residential. Axios is a new customer support platform and smart home technology and abuse, what you need to know. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 126, Crossover Products. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Access Networks and by HD Base T. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for avnation.tv, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Jason Knott. He is the editor of CE Pro. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me today, Matt. Hey, thank you so much for being here. And we also have Mitchell Klein. He's the executive director of the Z-Wave Alliance. How are you, sir? Fabulous. Great to be here again. Thank you, Matt. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Gentlemen, let's kick this right off with a story that comes to us from CE Pro. This is written by Mark Corbin of Vanco. Which products can crossover effectively from residential to commercial? If you, uh, or when you read through this article, Mark goes over a couple of things talking about the, really the opportunities for your product line to fit both like commercial and residential. And uh, a couple of things that he touches on are things like extenders and switchers and some of the cables that, you know, are really well suited for both residential and commercial and, and fit the, the niche for that as well. And he also gets into, you know, some of the things that you'd think fit and don't exactly fit uh, like plenum HDMI cables, uh, like the, the, the crossover point of where AV over IP uh, right. is much more effective versus, you know, just doing a traditional matrix from a, from a scale and, and price point situation. Very good article. Uh, Jason, I wanted to jump off uh, this one with you. When we're looking at things like this, as far as, you know, trying to modify our supply chain, you know, figure out which products are, are the best fit for us. Is this strictly a, a business decision? What goes into these conversations as we're looking at, you know, hey, this is a uh, an HD-based T extender that fits every residential project we do, but also can can work very well in, you know, all the like commercial we do. What drives that that conversation? I mean, I think there's a lot of things. That I think integrators are looking for efficiencies uh, if they can, and you know, if they can reduce the number of SKUs that they're carrying, and there's a product or products that can cross between uh, the commercial and the residential realm. I think it's an opportunity for them. It's, this is going to happen more and more. Um, you know, I think our latest data that we did in the CE Pro State of the Industry in January showed 30% of all um, uh, revenues for a residential integrator now come from the commercial space. Mm-hmm. And I was just uh, visiting a distributor last week and he told me, uh, matter-of-factly, that five years ago, he was 90% residential, 10% commercial. This year, he'll be 60% resi, 40% commercial. And he thinks next year, he'll be 50-50. Really? So the trend uh, is definitely there. I'd throw in one other product that I think is interesting is you would think flat panels would be an interchangeable, but no. There's, I think, very distinct uh, lines of demarcation between flat panels for the commercial realm and, and, and the residential of uh, to throw in another product that Mark Corbin didn't mention. It's interesting you bring that up because 
we've actually had conversations with not only clients, but other integrators who are using, you know, commercial panels extensively in residential because they don't always want to use, you know, all the smart TV stuff, all the, the bells and whistles that come with it. They just want a rock solid panel that's going to last, you know, five, 10 years without any issue. They'll throw a 4k, you know, LG hospitality panel into master bedrooms and stuff like that because they're running, you know, they're really just using that as a display. So that's an interesting point. Mitch, I want to come to you with this question. What other products, what other, you know, we don't need to get into specific SKUs, for example, but what other industries, what, what other vertical product lines really can transition one to the other? Well, you know, this has been going on for forever. I mean, I, my integration company back in the early 90s, we're always looking at Infocom at commercial products and those that dovetailed logically into your residential projects. You know, the key for us was to find something that could do multiple duty. They could do both. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got from a business perspective, you're diving into doing commercial work and then you're trying to find commercial products that'll work into the residential side. Perfect example, just simply looking at the pro audio products. There are quite a few pro audio products that make a whole lot of sense, whether you're talking about line arrays or mm-hmm. even just certain applications where certain speakers or, again, not getting into uh, brand specific, but stuff like Biam, things like that, that really do make a whole lot of sense when you're talking about certain residential projects. And then you get into the technology side, whereby we start looking at balanced audio. And I remember, again, going way back as an integrator, finding out that, oh, wait a minute. I can run balanced line audio and I can run signals, you know, around the house, around the room, you know, long distances where you really mm-hmm. couldn't even run it more than what, 10, 12 feet. So there, it, it's a logical thing. And as an integrator, look at products and technologies that can dovetail both. Don't really segment. I think that's the thing you got to be, be careful about. Well, I, I think even to pull off your uh, pro audio side of things, one thing that always surprised me is when you'd go and, you know, do a site survey and you'd find, all these, you know, outdoor spaces and everything is eight ohm. And, and you look <laughs> at it and go, no, this should be 70. This is 70 volt would be fantastic here. You get so much better coverage. <laughs> yeah, and it was always the perspective that, hey, 70 volts, you got no frequency response, stuff sucks. It's like, you know, your drugstore sound. Mm-hmm. But that's because the, that was the product that was used, not the technology. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from a residential systems. Axios is a customer support platform for the smart home. If you haven't heard of Axios, uh, their web address is axi.us. They are a a full-service customer service support platform for a smart home. They're providing management, maintenance, and ongoing monitoring for any device connected on Wi-Fi to the network. Uh, They're targeting a bunch of people, both builders and, and integrators alike, to, to try and sell this service, this platform. Mitch, I want to come back and, and start with you on this one. When we look at this, I don't want to say I'm skeptical, but I'm a little skeptical of this, uh, partially just because they're saying that they're the only people that are doing this. And I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a couple others out there, but notwithstanding. The, the big thing that kind of caught me and, and hit me as a, this, this isn't completely making sense, is they say that they have created the only intelligent 24-7 management and back-end support remote monitoring platform for any smart home device that connects via Wi-Fi. You're the head of the Z-Wave Alliance, which is not Wi-Fi. There are a lot of other, you know, 
communication standards out there that are being used. And there's a lot of devices that we as integrators actively do not put on Wi-Fi. Is this a, I guess. Hey, you're taking all of my comments. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But can we call this a complete platform or a a full monitoring solution if it's only based on Wi-Fi? Okay. I got a couple of comments. Number one, um, I have met with them before and I think they're good folks with good intention and good plans. So number one, I, you know, I, I think that they may be a little naive in terms of what's out there right now. So to make a claim that they're the only ones and then in the same claim they say they're using domots that tells you right off the bat, you're not the only one because domots is doing it. So <laughs> look, we already know they're not the only ones. Okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. They may have a different spin. Okay. I read the same information you did in terms of requiring Wi-Fi, and then in the same article, it's like, okay, you can see if your door, if access for your door locks, if let's say you're you're a managing a property and your tenants can't get in. Okay, door locks are not Wi-Fi. There is no door lock that uses Wi-Fi, and a simple reason is because if you used a Wi-Fi door lock, you'd be changing your batteries every week. Yep. So we already know they don't. And then in the same breath, they're saying they're using August as an example. <clears throat> In case you're not aware of it, August is now using Z-Wave. Okay, so you got a Z-Wave door lock, but only Wi-Fi connection. And then in the same article, they talk about using Philips Hue, which is, you know, they're using a proprietary version of Zigbee. Hmm. So I'm not clear exactly what they're referencing to. Are they really saying you need a Wi-Fi bridge in there, which a smart, they talk about smart things, smart things will connect multiple technologies. So let's be clear. It's not clear. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Well, and that, that was, as I was reading through it, that was the big question I had was, you know, is the Wi-Fi statement really just a, we need something that's on the network. That's uh, my wireless that we can connect. Yeah, my bet is it's just misstated. They're talking about network-based. That, that would yeah. be my bet. You know, and then the, the difference for from their marketing perspective is, unlike Domotes and One Vision and others who are doing some pretty good things, mm-hmm. they're saying, okay, we're for property managers, we're for builders, we're for so on and so forth. And there are other platforms doing it. And I'm very, very anxious to see really what, what it looks like behind the curtain. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they got some good backing and some smart people and really good people. So I think it's worth kind of watching, but I'd love to get that stuff cleaned up so we really know what, what yeah. they're, they're doing. Jason, taking all of that information and then, you know, kind of focusing in on the, the fact that they're saying that they're for builders and property managers and, and people such as that, opposed to maybe for integrators, even though they do state that. Is this another one of those devices that, or, or products, product mar- uh, markets that integrators really should be in, but the manufacturers are almost pushing us out of and, and going to those, those property managers opposed to integrators? You know, I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of remote management. You and I have talked about it before. In fact, mm-hmm. I made the remark that somebody mentioned to me once that when I die, my epitaph is not going to say RIP, but it's going to say RMR because we write about it so often on CE Pro. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a big proponent of remote management. And, you know, again, I, to Mitch's point, I'd love to see behind the curtain here a little bit more about what their ticketing system is and, and all those sorts of things that kind of, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. But in a general sense, the trend absolutely, and we're big proponents of having integrators 
sign remote management contracts, uh, uh, it creates some sort of a recurring revenue stream for their business. Um, it doesn't mean you have to. You know, I was just with an integrator last week in uh, New York who, who absolutely doesn't do it. You know, they charge 395 bucks an hour on the weekend, you know, weekend nights, 295 on the weekends and 195 regular. So they've done the math and said, you know what, we can, we can do this without having um, a remote management contract in place and make money in our service. So, you know, I think Mitch and you and I did an article 10 years ago about how to determine if your service department is profitable. If you remember that you wrote for us, mm -hmm. so it's, a, it's an old story, but it's, it's still an ongoing one that I think, you know, the trend is actually growing. I think three years ago, our data showed 3% of dealers revenues come from a recurring revenue stream. And the latest data was like 8%, still not close to what you're going to get in the security business, but a growing, growing percent for sure. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next and uh, most likely last story of the day. This comes to us from the New York Times. Thermostats, locks, lights, uh, digital tools of domestic abuse. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to read through this entire story because it is. Please quite, don't. Uh, oh, I'm not going to. It, it's quite <laughs> lengthy. Um, but the, the gist of it is that there seemed to be a, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to phrase this properly. It's not a push, but what... Uh, people that are running domestic help hotlines and domestic violence shelters are saying that they're hearing reports of people in those situations who feel that their smart home technology is being used against them in terms of, you know, just making them uncomfortable, making them feel uh, not at ease to the point of, you know, monitoring everything that they're doing when their their spouse or partner is not home, and they are, they're they're talking about a, a pattern of behavior where you know lights are changing, um, door lock codes are are changing constantly, and and they're locked out from these things. So I don't want to dig in too much on this uh, beyond what we, we what we talked about, but I want to look at it from the from the integrator side because I'm not. Uh, I am not the one to speak on domestic abuse. I don't know enough about it and I'm definitely not the, uh, the authority on it. And, uh, that's not what we do. We talk about tech, but what I wanted to get into and, and, uh, Jason, I'm going to come to you on this. When we start looking at this, one of the big things that caught my eye when I read this article was they were talking about how a, a, a partner had all of this technology put in and he was given uh, full control over full, you know, ownership, if you will, from, from the app standpoint and from the management side. And he had allowed his spouse to have some control and then was taking it away and, and changing things and, you know, really kind of running that situation and, and making her feel not at ease. What is an integrator's responsibility? Because this has come up if you've ever sold anything like this, and installed it. This has been something that's come up. You usually, you know, whoever's signing the check is usually the one who gets full admin rights. And a lot of times, I'll even say in our, our company, we don't really have a system as far as, you know, having both parties or everyone who lives at the home sign off on these are the products that we're putting in and you're getting control of it and you're not, et cetera, et cetera. Like, 
my wife does not know how to probably uh, change ownership of our door locks. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing up the exact questions that I had when I read the article, which is from the integrator standpoint of what liability is there? And I, mm-hmm. I don't have, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the answer to that, but it, it begs the question of should integrators contracts going forth have some sort of a clause in there that absolves them from this sort of a liability issue? I don't know. Um, but, and, and I don't want to get, you know, nasty letters to you uh, or Tim, you. but <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the NRA argument where they say, guns aren't the problem. The people who use the guns are, and you could make the same case here. The technology is not the problem here. It's the people who are using the technology. So I don't know how the technology can be liable in a situation like this, but at the same time, people sue gun manufacturers. Yeah. Well, and I guess the, the further question on that is maybe not what's, you know, how are we liable for it or how do we protect ourselves? But how do we how do we create a best practice to know that hey if you're uh, you know installing an automated door lock that you give ownership to both parties? Yeah, or maybe this is some sort it. of a service opportunity. Maybe it's a service opportunity for an integrator <laughs> to go back and say, hey, I can come back in and do a whatever clean sweep password change or a connectivity mm-hmm. change based uh, for a flat fee. I'm just making this up, but. You know, maybe it becomes that sort of, a, of an opportunity. Mitch, I'm sorry, I, I talked over you there. Go ahead. No, 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 you're, you're right. It's a double-edged sword here. I mean, you can't leave a back door open in order for an integrator to come in and fix this. You can't do that. I mean, oh, my God, you know, that, that can create all kinds of other potential hacking problems. Yeah. How do you lock down an approval? And it's not just a domestic abuse issue. Think about someone sells their house. Right. Yeah. And now the new owners come in and the old owners could potentially keep a back door open and have access to it. So this cuts into so many different areas and is way beyond the scope of an integrator. Um, I get, yeah, wow. Uh, to start getting into legal issues like that, I don't know. Do you want to put a single page contract that says, uh, you know, I hereby approve the fact that uh, only Mr. Jones is going to have access to the system and not Mrs. Uh, or do you want to cross that line? and even imply that something like this could potentially happen uh, to the couple yeah. when you're meeting with the happy couple and say, well, Mr. You don't kiss you, abuse, and this is, uh, no thanks. Well, and yeah. I, think, I think that's the hard thing is you read through this and, you know, I, I even, I called Tim out as soon as he sent it to me. I'm like, why are you trying to get me in trouble? What are you doing to me? <laughs> but it, it, it is a big thing of, you know, who does have the rights? Who, how do you as the, as the integrator do the best you possibly can to ensure that all parties are aware of what's going on and that you're, you know, making a secure system going forward. You know, this reminds me, we did an article a few weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw it about who actually owns the video that comes that is recorded from a video doorbell. You oh, think I didn't the, see home, that. the homeowner might think that they own it. They don't own it. No. Whoever's storing that or doing the recording is the actual owner. And it came up in a case because an integrator, a homeowner wanted to uh, see the video because there'd been a fight out on the curb in front of the house. And some, one of the pastors by said he wanted to see the video so he could, you know, conceivably prove that he wasn't the aggressor in the fight. 
and uh, and ended up being a legal issue. But this reminds me of, of you know, you, you guys might remember, I want to think, say it was 2015 or 2016, the keynoter at Cedia Expo, uh, mm -hmm. Michael Rogers said that you will have customers who will pay you more to keep you disconnected than your customers are paying you today to connect you. Yeah, I don't think they're wrong. I don't think so either. And I, I think that's a really good point that you made about the, the doorbells is when we look at this, we all assume just because we own it or it's, it's installed in our house that we own all of it and, and we have access to all of it. And that's, that's not always the case. So going forward, I, I guess our, our takeaway from this is that you need to talk to your lawyers. <laughs> well, again, like, like we've said, it's not just about the potential for abuse. It's a lot of other exposure oh, yeah. points. So hopefully there's a single point where that can be addressed. But again, I, I guess the, the key is making sure that you're securing these systems properly and you secure yourself. So on that lovely high note, <laughs> gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, Jason, if people want to connect with you, uh, learn more about CE Pro, where can they do that? They can always go to cepro.com or they can follow me on Twitter at uh, Jason W. Knott. Beautiful. Thanks so much for being here. Mitchell, thanks again for joining us. Sorry we missed you at Infocom. Uh, if people want to connect with you, uh, learn more about the Z-Wave Alliance, where can they do that? Well, you can always go to the zwavealliance.org, and there's a dash there, z-wavealliance.org, or reach out to me with Mitch at z-wavealliance.org. Beautiful. Again, thanks so much for joining us. For myself, if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter and every other social platform. But more importantly, please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our underwriters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you support them as well. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 